as our children make their way out. If you have a child, kindergarten to fifth grade, and want to go with Miss Rhonda Gray, hear about Jesus, you feel free to do that. We're thankful for that group right there. Thankful for all of those that volunteer to serve here in so many capacities. I see some folks in the back who are holding doors open. I'm thankful for those men, the folks that's working security and walking around uh, our premises. I'm thankful for those folks, those that teach Sunday school, greeters, tech guys in the back. I appreciate you guys for being here, being involved, uh, checking batteries and running sound and lights and words on a screen and folks in the very top running on Facebook Live and just the whole nine yards. I'm just so, so thankful uh, for those that serve at Union Hill. We're in a series, if you are a guest here today, we're in a series that uh, we entitled Life Together. Life Together, kind of bouncing around through the New Testament a little bit, uh, but uh, which is normally not what we like to do. I like to work through uh, at this stage, kind of grown in preaching over the years. I'm at a place where I normally like to walk through uh, texts long term. Uh, kind of gets us into thinking about things that we've never thought about at times, dealing with scripture that we've never looked at. Uh, kind of bouncing just a little bit through this series, but preaching what the Bible has to say. I uh, want to be true to the text. And so today we will look at Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. And we have been talking about the fact that, that we have been joined together. We looked at some passages out of Ephesians, a passage out of 1 John. Uh, this is uh, sermon number four in this series. And we have walked through the fact that we are a community of sinners who have been put together not to celebrate our sin, but because of Christ, we are being transformed out of our sin into uh, a new creation. And so I've been declared a new creation according to the book of Galatians, according to the book of Romans. I, I, I've been saved and, and I'm being saved. I'm walking this thing out now. Sometimes I'm slow in walking. Sometimes I, I feel the Holy Spirit have to pull me or some of you have had donkeys in your life and seen a donkey sit down and you just want to get behind it and, and kick it real good. Sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit kicking at me from the backside and telling me to get with it. And so, so we're walking this journey out, this being saved process. This is the sanctification process. And so we're walking this out together. We're being built together. Paul uses the word uh, that we have been joined together in the body like, like joints, like knee joints or elbow joints. And those joints are our relationships together. And so we're connected and so we seek to love and, and have grace and forgiveness and much patience with one another. And, and we, we cover over a multitude of sins with the love that we have for one another, we're walking through these ideas. And so last week we talked about the fact that, that now being saved, we live a clean life according to the book of Ephesians. And so we dealt with actually how we behave, things that we do as believers, okay? And so I was reading just a little bit. I, we pulled the, the title of Life Together from a book written by a German theologian. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He he was in the early 1900s, the mid-1900s, writing 
there in Nazi Germany. He starts this underground pastor school, this seminary. He's training these pastors to make a difference in the time in which they live. And, and, and he writes this little book called Live Together. It's really difficult to read. I, I'm really kind of not smart enough to read this book. It takes me several times to read a page, understand. It's one of those kind of books. Scratch my head sometimes. What are you saying? But I thought that he had makes a really good point about Christian community. And that's really what we're talking about is Christian community. Bonhoeffer says this. He says, uh, he says every human dream that is injected into the Christian community can become a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. This is weird, strange what he's saying. He says that often we get in communities together and in a Christian community, we have this dream, this wish of what we would like it to be like. And when we begin to worship the dream more than serving the community itself, then what we begin to do is worship in other form, we worship a unicorn, something that does not and will not exist. In other words, if you internally look at a community that God has given you, and I would say this works for the church house, this works for your family, my family. If in other words, you internally look at the community of people that God has given you and you look upon them with judgment, critique, cynicism, and a scoffing attitude, then you've created a fantasy version of the community. And ultimately, you've created an idol that keeps you from loving the very people that God has placed around you. Have you noticed that the people that God has placed around you sometimes are ugly? You, you ugly to somebody else too. Y'all know that? And so here, here's the thought. That if so I, we got wives looking at husbands in here, I just saw that back in the back row. I saw that. We'll do some marriage counseling after a while. If we begin to worship a fantasy version of somebody that, that they're not, and we cannot love the very community that God's given us, then Bonhoeffer's saying that we've created a false idol. The, the community could become an idol. That's an interesting thought. Uh, we progress on in these thought processes of living life together and we pull our marching orders out of Matthew chapter 28 on what we're supposed to do. 10 years ago, 10 years ago that we got called, 10 years ago this summer that we began to pastor Union Hill Baptist Church, 10 years has flown by. I was trying to do the math. I think we've been here 18 years. It has flown by. If you had told me 18 years ago when we started student pastoring that I would still be at Union Hill 18 years later pastoring, I would have said there's, there's no way. Uh, that's not going to happen. Progressively, that just doesn't work 
uh, most times with student pastors wanting to pastor somewhere, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. And so uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful, hard, wonderful, wouldn't trade anything for the world, 18 years and 10 years of pastoring. And 10 years ago, we shifted the mission of Union Hill. We shifted it pretty much uh, off the bat uh, to be a church that wants to follow Jesus. Uh, we pulled it right out of Matthew chapter 28. The staff that we had here, we sat down, we walked through the idea of what do we want Union Hill to be? Where, where do we want to take this church? How, what are we asking God to do? And we really pulled the vision right out of Matthew 28 because these are some of the last words of Jesus out of Matthew 28 where he says uh, in verse 18, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we took these words, uh, words uh, like at the end of John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So here, here, here it is again, here, this idea of being witnesses, this idea of being sent, this idea of, of making disciples. Again, in Acts chapter 1, Luke is going to write. So now we have three gospel writers that are writing about this. Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our life together in the body is a web of relationships. We have been bonded together by what Christ has done in us so that, so that if you are uh, in a different socioeconomic status from me, if you live on the other side of the tracks, if, you, uh, if your skin color is different, if you speak a different language, uh, and we have all of that going on in here today. It's what's beautiful. Jonathan Kular came to me one day and said, hey, uh, we have a family that's been visiting us that they don't speak English and uh, uh, their children speak English and they're trying to interpret to mom and dad in the service. I'm not even sure if they're here today. Saw them last Sunday. Uh, Jonathan said, hey, I, there's an app that we can get and figure this out and they can listen and somebody can translate from the other side of the world in our service uh, they can translate the service and they can sit in the service and listen through the app. And, and I was just like, boom, let's do this. And so Jonathan set all of this up. And, and so please hear me. Please hear me. What bonds us together is greater than, the, the, than us speaking the same language. That's not what bonds us together. Uh, all, of, all of these differences are in the body of Christ. What bonds us together is the fact that, that we all have been joined in Christ, that we find our life in Christ, that he has changed and transformed us by this 2,000-year-old story that, that is still being preached today. This is what binds us together so that if your testimony back in the day is that I was this extremely horrific man or extremely terrible woman and I did all of these things or... or it, 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 you know, that, that's not necessarily my testimony, but, but I'm just as much of a sinner. I've just grown up in church, and, and I had to come to the realization, just like you did, that I needed Jesus. 
that, that, that my sin needed to be forgiven. And so if your story is God set you free from heroin, that's not my testimony. But I can tell you this, I'm just as much of a sinner as any heroin addict is. I, I am. And I will tell you my addiction, I know about addiction in my life. It's just not, hasn't been heroin. And I would tell you this, anybody in here knows what addiction is like. We all return to our sin like a dog to its vomit. Uh, we've been chained to it before. We need Christ to break the, the chains of sin. And so here we gather together, we worship together. But what is our purpose? Just to pat each other on the back and, and press on? Absolutely not. Jesus gives his marching orders to the church, to his disciples, over and over and over again before he ascends into heaven, after he is resurrected. Uh, and just a side note, where is Jesus' body? Physically, he rose from the grave. Physically, he ascended into heaven. I can't get to heaven by an airplane, but Jesus is physically, his body is physically in heaven. One day, physically, he will leave heaven and come to earth, and he will set foot on this earth one day physically, and we will bow and worship him forever and ever and ever. Uh, let me give you an illustration. The SS United States Navy ship was built and completed in 1951 for the cost of $79 million, equivalent today to $821 million. It was the largest and fastest ship in the world at that time, and I think that it still holds records in the transatlantic uh, um, uh, movement that it had. I think it still actually holds records. The Navy would use this ship to transport up to 10,000 troops into war if necessary, but the ship never lived out its purpose. It made history as the fastest luxury liner to cross the Atlantic because of its extravagance. The wealthy flock to it for travel. And today, it sits since 1996 at Pier 82 docked in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There was a group in 2009 who tried to raise funds to restore the ship, but the money dwindled and this group accepted bids to scrap the ship for metal. Brothers and sisters... The church is not a luxury liner cruise ship for the rich, for the wealthy, built for entertainment. We have been built to carry warriors for the gospel. This is our purpose and this is our text today. This is not a social club. I know at times it appears to be a social club. I know at times... An unbelieving world or people who believe and have distanced themselves from the house of God look at the church sometimes and at times they have valid concerns and complaints that that's nothing more than a social club. A lot of the excuses though won't hold and I will say this, if I stand in front of God one day and why didn't I serve him and why didn't I be a part of the body of Christ and why didn't I do this and why didn't I do that? If I sit, sit to the Lord and point and say, well, they did this and they looked like this and they were hypocrites and I just distanced myself, none of that stuff holds weight. None of it holds weight. But I'll say this, there are some legitimate concerns out there about the church being a social club. Jesus in our text today 
Let me paint the scene right here in verses 16 and 17. Jesus in our text today appears to, uh, appears to the 11 disciples. He has been resurrected from the grave. He is uh, about to ascend into heaven. And Matthew ends his gospel very abruptly after the resurrection. Not a lot of stories that come after Jesus has risen from the grave in Matthew's gospel. He stops very quickly, and Matthew stops with these last words to the 11. They're on a mountainside. They're waiting on Jesus to show up. And notice in verse 17, which we didn't read, when Jesus shows up, they worshiped and some doubted. Some doubt it. This is pretty interesting that Jesus is about to start his church in the book of Acts. Jesus is about to start his church with some men that doubt. Feel the weight of that. Every pastor I know that has church planted wants to put together a team that believes in him. And Jesus is starting the church with a plant team that ain't, ain't quite got it all together and they doubt him. This looks to be a failure of a church start. They ain't got no money. They don't have a building. No educational space. No worship center. And this is so appropriate for Union Hill today. Jesus doesn't have a gymnasium to build his church. Jesus doesn't need any of that. He takes 11 men that, that are filled with worship and doubt, and you can read the text and go, well, maybe some of them are worshiping and some of them are doubting. Either way, you want to look at that text they're just like us. They don't have it all together. And Jesus launches his ministry plans to doubting disciples. And all they have at the end of the day is a story to tell that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose from the grave. And I want to tell you this. That's really all we have. I want to see Union Hill do some things as much as the next person in here. I do. We've talked about a, a lot of those things. But at the end of the day, a nice building with wonderful music and wonderful money coming in and us dressed up in good clothes and us all virtually looking the same and filling up a building, all of that looks good on the surface. But if there is no gospel message, then all we truly are is a group that meets and spins our wheels and pats ourselves on the back and we walk out of here like we've really done something good. Please hear me today. The gospel is our message and our goal in life. Let the building crumble. Let our clothes look like garbage. Let, uh, let us look like the most impoverished people to ever assemble. Let us be broke as a joke. 
But let us preach the gospel, and I promise you this, Jesus Christ will be in the midst of that kind of people. Uh, that church can be large. That church can be large preaching the gospel. But make no mistake about it, there are churches all around us who are faithful to preaching the gospel and they ain't growing. Something must be wrong with that church. They're not growing. No, it just is what it is sometimes. Have y'all tried to get anybody to church? It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life past COVID. It's extremely difficult. And there are faithful men standing in little bitty churches preaching faithfully the gospel and they're trying their hardest to get somebody new in their church and they have their faithful 40, faithful 20, or faithful 5 and they stand and they'll stand till they die proclaiming that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, is here to forgive sin, live for him. And, and, and I just got to be honest because I, I, I earnestly feel like the, the Lord works opposite the way the world works sometimes. I guarantee you when we get to heaven, you will see men that you've never heard of their name with crowns bigger than you could have ever imagined. And all they did was faithfully preach at the post that God set them up at. And, and they just did it and did it and did it. I, I, I am blown away. Did y'all, hey, time out. Psh, this ain't none of this in the notes. Do y'all realize this? That the statistics say only one out of 10 pastors will make it to retirement. Y'all understand that everyone on your staff is behind the eight ball to be in ministry long term. Y'all realize that? And so I look at a man that pastors a church faithfully for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years. And everyone looks at that church sometimes and says, well, that church, that church is small. It didn't grow. And I look at that man as a hero of the faith. How in the world did he do that? Do y'all know how many times I've wanted to resign on a Monday morning? This ain't about me and it ain't about becoming a victim in here and go, oh my goodness, we got we to love on our pastor because what if he quits? That's not what this is about. What I'm trying to tell you is though, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that God has called us into the gospel ministry. This is where we are. Acts 17 verse 6 describes the Christians as people who have turned the world upside down. I'm just crazy enough to believe that the gospel can still turn the world upside down. I think that it can turn this community upside down. I think that it can turn your marriage upside down. I think that it can turn your children upside down. I think that it can turn your job upside down. You at your job. I think that it can turn this church upside down. There are more people to reach in this community than this church can hold. Y'all realize that? Notice the self-proclaiming statement of verse 18 that Jesus makes. It's a pretty bold statement, Jesus, when you say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's bold. Verse 18 is, is, is really the crux of the, the rest of the passage. If verse 18 isn't true, everything else falls apart. Jesus, unlike any other man in history, says all authority has been given unto me. He's either telling the truth and he's God in the flesh 
or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. That all power in heaven belongs to him. All authority in heaven belongs to him. H.B. Charles, let's put this quote on the screen. H.B. Charles says, power is the ability to get things done. But really, that's not the word that's used here. Jesus says authority has been given to him, which means he has all the legal action and rights to get things done. He has all the legal rights, action to get things done. He is able and has the credentials. Jesus has the power of attorney in our lives and in this world. All authority has been given to him. He ain't sharing it with anyone. All of it. Nobody shares his throne. He's by himself. He's in a class all by himself. The Bible is wrestling with this idea that that, that Jesus has authority. Really what Jesus is doing is is fulfilling the prophecy out of Psalm chapter 2 that says the anointed one will come and be given the nations. Jesus is proclaiming that he is Lord over the earth. He says, I own it all. He owns this country. He owns the country to our north. Jesus owns the country to our south. Jesus owns countries that are self-proclaimed communist. Jesus owns countries that are led by dictators. Jesus owns countries that are led by evil men and women. Jesus truly owns it all. Now, I know, I know, I know. This is what the Bible's doing is wrestling with this idea. How in the world... Can Jesus make a claim that he owns everything when you look around and you see what you see? Brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by what you see on the news. I know it looks like one way in some parts of the world and it looks like one way in some parts of our nation and it looks like some ways one way in some parts of our community and it looks terrible at times, but do not be dismayed. Jesus is in control. How can you say that, Mike? I didn't. He does. All authority has been given unto him. I don't know how that's all going to work out, but the Bible is wrestling with this. Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, this evil leader battling in his mind on what to do with Jesus. Uh, Pontius has got a moment of uh, justice. He knows Jesus is innocent. What does he do with him? All the people want to kill Jesus, and so I'm really torn here. Do I go... Uh, if I let Jesus free because he hasn't done anything, then they're all going to, to possibly run me out of town, possibly kill me. Uh, Rome may kill me. I, I'm being led by Rome, but I, I'm really, the people own me. Their opinion of me matters so much that they own me. Be careful about being owned by the opinion of others, right? So he's owned by their opinion Uh, Do I let him free? And so he's having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus, in in pure control, stands in silence. Pilate says, why don't you speak to me? Here it is. Do you know what kind of authority I have? I think a very small smile may have come across Jesus' face and Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it's been given to you from above. Jesus in control of even his own death. 
But he chooses to lay aside all of that for sinners like me and you. What's your point today, Mike? My point is, is that he owns it all. He's overall. He can do anything that he desires. He commands anything that he desires. And his last command is this, go. Go. Verse 19 is a command from Jesus to go. It's from his authority that he commands us to go, to make disciples, to teach, to baptize. A disciple means a follower. But someone learns to become like someone else. I think it's fantastic. It's hilarious to me, partly because they fall in my house. But every once in a while, it happened a lot more in the last couple of years, but every once in a while I'll see Sam or Sawyer, they'll come walking into the living room wearing uh, some of our shoes, right? Some of our shoes. So, so Sam will put my shoes on, size 13 shoes, and he'll just, you know, he thinks it's hilarious, and then when he tries to turn, the body turns, but the shoes don't, and then boom, we fall. You know, one time he wore Aaron's high heels in. We had to have a sit down on that and talk about that. (laughs) Kids follow in our footsteps, right? I try to teach Sawyer to walk in the woods and not drag her feet. Drives me insane that she drags her feet. I am... Twice her size, excuse me, way more than her size. (laughs) And I think she makes more noise in the woods walking than I do. And so I'm trying to teach her, pick your foot up. Don't drag your feet. Start with your heel. Walk on your toes. This type thought process. They they mimic us. They, They walk behind us. They... They learn from us. And let me just throw this out here. Some of you are just like these disciples and you doubt whether or not you could go. You Look at me. The greatest disciple you will ever make are your children. You are a disciple maker. You have been called by God to be a follower and then in turn, now we lead people to follow. This is why We lay out so many materials in your hand to help you in the process. I'll say it again. This has been one of the greatest resources in helping us talk about God in my house. We have some on the back table. If you are have children or you're a grandparent, pick one up. It's free. Don't throw it in the back seat of your car only to clean it out six months from now. If you're going to do that, don't pick it up. But if you want to use something as great material to have conversations with your kids, this is wonderful, wonderful material to use. Raise our children up to know Christ. Step up your game in the process. There was a moment a time when your parents had your tail in Sunday school. You don't care about Sunday school and now you have kids. Do you honestly think that you can do it by yourself? And if we all got really honest in here, we skirt all of these other outside things that our parents invested into us for the gospel to get into us, and we skirt all of those. And if we really got honest, 
We're not replacing any of that time in our house. I would love for a parent to be able to look at me and go, yeah, we don't come to Sunday school because we've replaced that time in our house where I do Bible study as the leader of my house. I'd love for a husband, uh, a dad to be able to tell me that. No, the reality is you don't do Sunday school because 915 is too early. And you don't care about it. But your mom and daddy cared about it. And some faithful teacher of the gospel showed up to teach you Sunday school when you were eight years old. And you have faithful teachers showing up to do that now. But you don't care about it. Well, I've replaced that one hour of Bible study at home and I teach my family. Very, very few of us could say that. No, what a lot of us do is we live on the hard work that our mom and dad did to invest the gospel in us and we live on that hard work and rest on it and meanwhile, we don't put any of that time into our kids. And we just cross our fingers and hope Miss Rhonda gets, leads them. I just hope Miss Rhonda does it. It ain't Miss Rhonda's job. Dad, Mom, it's our job. It's our job. Well, I hope Brandon can do it. I sure can't. Hmm. Disciple-making is at home. Disciple-making is like concentric circles. It goes out like skipping a rock across the water, and we see those concentric circles start going out from where that rock hit on the water. I was thinking about concentric circles in my own life. In fact, that's oftentimes a sermon series title, Concentric Circles, Dealing with Discipleship. And I was thinking about my own life. And, and, and for a moment, I was going, you know, my circles are very small. And I got to thinking about concentric circles in my life of the gospel going out. It's, it's wherever God would lead us, right? It's, it's, it's the river to Birmingham to New York to L.A. to East Uzbekistan. I don't even know if that's a real place. It's probably not. It's the place that we like to make up around the staff. Does the gospel get to East Uzbekistan? Is that, I don't know. We just make that up. It's probably a real place. And I was thinking about my circles and going, you know what, I, I don't even know how far my circles go out. But I got to thinking about my family. That's a, that's a good first place to start. And then I got to thinking about my church family. And that's a good second place to start. But then I got to thinking about this. You know, God's led us to Mud Creek Baptist Church. They had four people when we started four months ago. Justin, did you preach there this morning? Who led worship for you this morning? Steve and Amy Nelson led worship this morning. Steve, did you lead or just your wife led? Both, both of y'all led. I'm very thankful for you guys leading worship there, giving us Sunday for that. Several of you folks lead in there as far as worship. Connie Reeves is there just about every Sunday playing the piano. I'm thankful for her. And I was thinking about this this, this week. God, God made us another circle in my life and moved me into another group at, at Mud Creek Baptist Church, us into another group at Mud Creek Baptist Church. So he moved us down the road just a little ways. You, you remember uh, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the other, other ends of the earth. And so here we are, concentric circle. So we moved down to Adra a little bit. And so they had four. Jay, how many was there this morning that are Mud Creekers? Ten. I've gone from four to ten. 
in four months. Okay? You say, well, that's not very many. Why don't y'all double next week? <laughs> I'm serious. Y'all double next week. It's incredible growth. You know what we've looked at too? We've looked at this. We know who those people are. Been Sundays where there's 12 people there. 12 people, eight of them, completely unchurched that are now churched. This is a concentric circle. This is what the Lord's doing. He's, he's expanding the discipleship process. I, I got to thinking about this. I found myself talking to a family last week at UAB Hospital downtown. Two people in the room unchurched. My circle's growing. I, I, I found myself this past week, as I'm thinking about this, I, I thought my circles were small. And so now, now I've gone from, from right here to Adger to UAB downtown. Watch this. I found myself, of all places, is this a shocker to you, at Jack's in Gwin, Alabama, talking to a table of old men about Jesus in a morning where they were just sipping coffee and eating a biscuit. I hope that I get to those days that I could be an old man at Jack's, sipping coffee, eating a biscuit, talking about how I used to run a 4-3-40 when I played football at Utah. <laughs> That's a true story. That's a true story. It's not a true story. <laughs> Watch this. Here, Adger, Birmingham, Gwin, Alabama, Oh my goodness, this gets crazy. Watch this. This past week, I find myself talking on the phone to Ryan Peoples, who left this church over three years ago, that a lot of you didn't tell him this because you were too scared but you had backdoor conversations behind him and said that he is stupid for picking up his family and moving to Idaho. And I find myself talking to Ryan Peoples three years after he's done this. And that joker is about to start a Bible study in his living room and has over 25 people coming to it, half of which are unchurched. And I'm talking to him, and I, and I, just, I just called him. I, I just said, Pastor Ryan, what, what are you going to do about this? He says, shut up. Don't call me Pastor Ryan. I'm not a pastor. <laughs> Here, Adger, Birmingham, Gwin, Alabama, Idaho Falls. Surely this thing stops, but Wednesday night I'm preaching. And right in the middle of it, I see Cammy Goggins back here. And I, I went, Cam, I didn't even know the Goggins were in town. And here they are, and I see Cammy. And Cammy wanted to come in, into the worship, but Jacob didn't. He don't like me. And so here you are today, and y'all. And so, and, and, and watch this. So, so now I'm in a conversation with a family doing ministry in Romania. And I'm going, 
concentric circles of discipleship. And this is the way the economy of God works. As Jacob and Cami make disciples in Romania and Union Hill and Mike Stevens come alongside to support in any way, shape, form possible that we can. Watch this. As they make disciples, the way God's economy works, Union Hill also is making disciples right alongside with him. Concentric circles. You have been called to go. I got to stop the message. There's a whole nother point. It's the last point. I'm cutting it off. Powers, come on. But the last point, and we've sung about it. Powers, you've even said it already. It's the last promise. I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's the last promise, the last part of the verse. Uh, I, I mean, there's wonderful teaching in here that we're not getting to about baptism. Some of you have never been baptized and you profess Christ. And you're living in disobedience. Does it make you lost? Does it mean you're dying and going to hell? But I will say this. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, why in the world couldn't you stand up in front of people and make this public profession of baptism? Baptism is an incredible act of obedience And some of you want to be obedient to the Lord in so many areas of your life, but you're not baptized. And I will tell you this, if Sam wants to walk with me and do some things, but he ain't taking out the garbage like I told him to this morning, hey, before we go any further, go get the garbage. Take it out, right? Obedience, that's how how it works. You're waiting on God to do something in your life, and God's going, well, you're not being obedient to my word, what I've already laid out. And some of you need to get baptized. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. I mean, I mean there's all sorts of teaching in here, but, but the last one is, I, I, you know, I can hear the disciples. They're doubting. I can't, I can't do this. I can't go. I can't open my mouth and talk about you. I, I, I can't do it. And Jesus is going, well, I got all the authority, and, and then let me remind you, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he is. Christ is with you. This is our purpose, brothers and sisters, is to go. Watch this. We've gathered and now we scatter. And I don't know what, I don't know, 200 people in here, two, I don't know how many people, 250 in here. We'll go in 250 different directions. And we must be salt and light and open up our mouths and share about Jesus. Honest question. Honest question and I'm done. Are you ready? Honest question. If you Say you love Jesus and profess his name. Honest question. When is the last time you shared the gospel message with anybody in your life? Answer that one. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we understand our purpose is to share the message of Jesus. We are not a social club, Father. We're a group of sinners that have been put together for the purpose of pressing forward your kingdom. Help us to do that. Help us to do that in Jesus' name that we pray.